if you'll kindly settle for plenty of your boy BC. In this corner with Brian Campbell, the Pro Wrestling Edition is back and ready to five-star frog splash your workday and take over your free time with another dose of what the wellness policy now calls performance enhancing audio the brian campbell the man with the plan is the voice you hear and we don't need paul from the nordstrom and aventura to tell you that nasty nick costos is looking good right now wherever it is that he may be what size shirt is that a medium <laughs> the hell out of here Nick is not only the most passionate man in North America, he's also one of the busiest men during football season in all of sports broadcasting. So the Greek will take a bye this week. We will miss him as sure you will as well. But let me welcome in a man who, like Darren Young, takes no days off, the pro wrestling royalty of this podcast, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey now. Yes, we got one heck of a show for you today. Looking back at the week that was in WWE and welcoming in another one heck of a guest. Thank you kindly to the fine folks at WWE 2K18 for presenting us with Finn Balor this week for the fine ITC listeners. We've been on one heck of a run. Very, very excited to hear what Balor has to say in the midst of this Bray Wyatt feud. And if you did miss the earlier ITC wrestling offering this week, check out the archives for our special bonus hybrid episode featuring a recap of Hell in a Cell and a fun trio of interviews with Bobby Roode, Frizango, and Sin Cara. And listen, if you haven't heard them yet, please do so. Sin Cara reveals a lot more to his true personality than is typically seen or heard from behind his mask. Good stuff all around also check out our mma offering this week on in this corner as king mola wall joins me to recap all things ufc 216 and a little pro wrestling bonus sprinkled in as the king talks about re-entering the world of sports entertainment for a fun angle going on over at impact wrestling involving bobby lashley moose the american top team mma gym i mean this is good stuff so check that out indeed but without any further ado silver king we always start the show the same way with the main event I like that you teed yourself up for the sound to make sure you were ready for it this time. That was great. I, I had to delay the speech. So I had to pull a costa. Okay? <laughs> like, what, what page is this on on my soundboard? There we go. There it was we go. great. Well, I'm going to do my best to fill in those uh, well-tanned, nicely quaffed, finely tailored shirts and shoes of Mr. Nick Costas here. So let's get started with the Shield, obviously, BC. They officially reunited early Monday on Raw, right at the beginning of the show, and we learned that they will face The Miz, Sheamus and Cesaro, and Braun Strowman in a three-on-four tables, ladders, and chairs match that will headline the TLC pay-per-view on October 22nd. For me, BC, I have some problems with it, as always, but I want to hear what you think of the entire Shield reunion and what went down Monday night on Raw. First of all, I love the synergy here. This happened at Raw in Indianapolis, and it happened there for a reason, and obviously wasn't something they're hiding. Historically, the Shield had some big moments in Indy, right? Debuting, also when Seth Rollins took the chair to Roman Reigns' back to disband them in 2014. I'm going to say overall, this was a home run. And yes, you can, and you probably will, pick at a couple things here and I'm excited to kind of hear your take on maybe what you didn't like but as a whole guys there are times when we have to just say we're happy that we got what maybe we didn't think we got we we were going to get in this spot and a lot of times WWE hears the chance from the crowd and doesn't cash in on what the fans really want in the end was it perfect no but it worked and to know that it worked you hear that crowd they delayed that fist bump from last week to this one it gave something to wait for they came out right in the beginning and gave it to you before attacking the Miz Sheamus and Cesaro and just go back and listen to that crowd I mean it worked the place was rocking 
I really don't think I've heard a pop that big and that sustained in a while of that sort of level. It was, you know, equal to like Chris Jericho coming back from being down a couple of years. I mean, it wasn't CM Punk level, but in Chicago, but it was something that felt special overall. I'm glad they did this because where else would we be right now in the fall? Typically a dead spot going up against the NFL. It shows you that once again, they're trying, they're continuing this trend. And I know that to a certain degree, maybe there's a Star Wars Episode 7 comparison here. They preyed on our lust for nostalgia. There really wasn't anything new or dynamic in the launch of The Shield. But you know what? Sometimes nostalgia just plain works. The, pre- the You can say all you want about that T-shirt being launched at the right time. Like 20 minutes before Raw starts on Monday, I noticed on Twitter that, oh, they got a Shield T-shirt. All three guys are wearing it when they come out against Strowman. But again, the T-shirt's pretty badass. I think I want to buy it. I think I want to wear it. Silver King, I gave what's good. I showed you the sunshine. Come crashing down with a dark moon on me all you want. (laughs) But that still feels pretty damn good as we head into the next pay-per-view in a TLC match. I want to see this. Yeah, I mean, look, it feels good to see the Shield reunited, right? Like, we're excited that they're back together. We want these matches. We want the moments. I thought better than the beginning of the show was what they did with Braun Strowman. You have to remember, the Shield are the hounds of justice. They come out to set things right, whether good or bad, whether for heels or baby faces. So when they come out and they you know, they stop Braun Strowman from absolutely annihilating, what was it, Matt Hardy, right? Um, that's what the Shield is. That, to me, is more Shield than three guys just kind of coming out to separate entrance themes, by the way, wearing the same shirt that, like you said, just happened to be ready for them to reunite and do the fist bump at the beginning of the show. For me... This feels so forced. It just feels like they are shoehorning it in and trying to make it work, and that's my biggest problem overall with it. And you talked about the crowd popping. It did, okay? It did. It did not pop as big for the Shield, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, as it did for the reuniting of Ambrose and Rollins. This also comes way too soon on the heels of that happening. It's like they reunite. They win the tag team titles. They're still holding the tag team titles, and now they're now let's bring Roman Reigns back in here and, and add him to the and add him to the party. And one other point I'm gonna make. We have this TLC pay-per-view coming up on October 22nd, right? Brock Lesnar's not gonna be on it because Brock Lesnar is taking another four, six, eight weeks off from WWE television. So the Universal title is not being defended. Well, guess what? The Intercontinental title is not gonna be defended. And you know what? the tag team titles aren't going to be defended. So you're now going to have a pay-per-view where basically all of your main people outside of Brock Lesnar and Samoa Joe, who's injured, and Finn Balor and, and Bray Wyatt, who are in their own deal, are all the titles are, are not being defended on this show except for the women's title and the cruiserweight title. And let's be honest, this cruiserweight title changes hands way too often. So for me, I just laid out all, the pro- all my problems with it. Now tell me where I am wrong couple things there. You're not wrong. It, it was a little paint by numbers. It was a little bit of like, okay, we need ratings. What do we do? We haven't done this. Let's do that. So my only problem with that is that I didn't, there, there didn't seem to be enough of a, a reason to get back together. Like, okay, Roman Reigns got knocked down a couple times and beaten with chairs. Like, okay. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like, you know, his mom and dad were ringside and somebody pulled him over the barricade and gave him a shot. Like, like he's Bruce Hart or something. Like, those are the type of situations where it supersedes your own sort of suspension of disbelief as a fan being being an adult now. It still kind of hits you in that feel spot, right? It goes, all right, I want to see him get, get, get a comeback. That's, you know, if that's your fight and that's been some people's fight, that's fine. But man, my timeline was exploding. And I'm not sure as much as it feels calculated like this whole thing was calculated because I kind of feel like Samoa Joe 
was going to have a big part if he had not gotten hurt. I kind of feel like they had been setting the stage for Roman Reigns versus Samoa Joe. And if they had, that would have been a very worthy main event run of the Samoa. You know, you're not Absolutely. Samoa and like me. That would have been fine. Yes. If this is more of a reactionary decision of saying, okay, some things have changed. We know Brock's going to be away for a little bit. I'm not completely against it because they filled in the hole of what do we do with Braun Strowman. And you had to do that. You had to insert him into this to make us feel like putting together this dream team, this 92, you know, uh, all-American all team here. You know, Bird Magic and Jordan coming together, you know, which is like the equivalent right now of Ambrose, Rollins, and Reigns in, in some weird way. You had to have a legitimate opposition. So Strowman does give you that. Now it's a handicap match. Now it matters. I'm not as upset about the titles, though, because – you have all your stars together. I know Survivor Series is in another month, and this is like a de facto Survivor Series match, right. and it is, but at least you have the tables, ladders, and chairs. It connects the synergy of when we first met the Shield, what we first liked about them. So all in all, I will look over some of those minor facts because of this. We don't know the ending, and we don't know how soon the ending is. And it may just happen that when some kind of swerve and maybe that swerve comes this next pay-per-view. I mean, listen, we really don't know. Maybe they're fine with just selling shirts for a month and that's enough. But what if some kind of swerve comes? It, you know, it's not gonna be a Roman heel turn, but what if some kind of swerve comes in there that we don't see? And then we go, oh, wow, this was a great way to further the story. I think you have to give them that chance. At the very least, they didn't butcher it. All right. This isn't Sister Abigail. And we'll get to that very shortly. At least they 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 tried hard. They gave you something so far. I'm ready to eat it up, man, because my timeline is blowing up. And once in a while, we deserve a chance to pop. All right. I'm not comparing this to Daniel Bryan finally climbing the mountain of WrestleMania 30, but we deserve a chance to get what we want. So that's that's sort of reiterating my original point. You know, like I'll take it. I'll yeah. Take it. I, you know, I'm with you. Like a lot of what you're saying makes a lo makes a lot of sense. But I don't I feel like we, you say like we sometimes we deserve to pop. I feel like this just could have been better. Like I want to pop. More than I did. Like I was, my my reaction to it was this: Oh wow, the shield's back. That was cool. Instead of like, holy crap, the shield is back. That's awesome. There's a difference in that reaction. It's getting to the end result is fine, but the way you get there to me always matters. Why have Strowman involved in this match when you have yeah yeah Roman Reigns is more is better and bigger than the Miz, but. The two tag teams are pretty much equals. You saw it in that match. So now you have a four-on-three handicap match. Instead of having a three-on-three -three match, where maybe if you held Braun Strowman out for a month, you bring him back during a no-DQ TLC match and have him help that team get over. And then you have four dudes. You have to add one more. You have the three-man shield. You have to add two more. And then you have your Survivor Series match. Your five-on-five, five, the main yeah, well, event from Raw that you them. want. We may get there anyway, you know? We might. We might. It just seems weird to me to have... Strowman in this match when the other six super superstars should be pretty evenly matched without him. Why would a face general manager, you know, go to that length really and allow that to happen? There's just little pieces like that that annoy me. Just like we always talk about, you know, how one storyline continues into another and how consistent they are. The Nia Jax thing from a week or two ago. We, I want them to be consistent and I want them to tell the best story possible. And that's not to say this is a bad story. I don't mean to be crapping all over this. You said all the positive points, so I don't want to repeat them. But I'm just coming, I'm coming up with reasons why you know, a Shield reunion should be really special. The DX reunion was always very special. The NWO reunions were always very special. There was a reason for them. Same thing even with a Wyatt family or something along those lines. I want the Shield to be treated with that same level of dignity.
But think about it like this. They broke them up earlier than we thought they should have, and it made them feel smart. It made them feel like, okay, they know they have something in Rollins. When I originally saw the Shield, I thought Rollins was the worst of the three, to be honest. You know, it's still really good. I never thought they would put the belt on him right away and really pluck him up and make him something. So maybe, you know, and look, you can say all you want about the idea of why does WWE deserve me to give them the benefit of the doubt. But I want to say give them the benefit of the doubt that putting them back together too soon will be a smart thing on going back to what I said, because we don't know where it's going. We don't know if there's going to be a power struggle now. Now that all three have been to the top of the ladder, now getting back together, what are the dynamics now? Originally, both backstage and on the screen, they pulled their efforts together. They were a real team in and out of the ring. Now I want to see storyline-wise, convince, activate, maybe some real-life things and put it in there and see where that power balance goes when they do start to face some adversity. And bringing Brock and Strowman in, they probably will. So... You know, step one, they're good with me. Let's see where it goes. So I'm with you, and let's give them the benefit of the doubt on this, and let's see what happens, especially as we head into TLC and the Raw after TLC, the one kind of taking us on the road to Survivor Series. But BC, what I'm wondering is, are you also going to give WWE the benefit of the doubt with Sister Abigail? Because this is the second part (laughs) of our main event. We have Bray Wyatt transforming in front of our eyes for the second straight week, this time with some auto-tune into Sister Abigail, and he is attempting to steal this your soul and Finn Balor's soul through television monitors and screens. BC, what did you think about this? Yeah, I had to put on my special 3D glasses or something to, to stop the, the, the attempt of stealing my soul through this satanic ritual of what was happening here. Look, I'm the biggest protector. You know this of Bray Wyatt and the fact that there's stories they haven't told that will justify the original push he ever got, right? If they would just fix the booking, there's gold to be had there. I cannot support this absolute trash and garbage. I thought what happened Monday night was one of the worst things I've ever seen on my television screen. My only redeeming thing was that Bray went to town on it, and that's what Bray always does. Whether you hated the House of Horrors or not, you hated any of that stretch, Bray will give you everything he has and stay committed to that role. I'll give him that. This sucked. This was bad. It was both creepily off creepily awful to the point that I literally was creeped out, but yet at the same time, so comically ridiculous and cheesy that I was almost offended that they were laying it out. I have multiple problems with this. You you think in the lead up to the Finn type of angle, I was saying, wow, they stole that from Teen Wolf. Well, guess what? They stole this one from the movie Ghost. Do you remember that, right? Patrick (laughs) Spazzy, Demi Moore, Whoopi Goldberg, dead spirits jumping into each other's skins, the great villain, Willie Lopez. It was basically a sci-fi chick flick where they sat around a pottery, pottery shaped, you know, wheel and made, made things (laughs) that look like dongs to, to love music. I just, I'm getting weird vibes from this. And the reason why it sucks overall is because of how poorly they handled Bray's character leading up to this, which means that I no longer have the same patience that I had before. It was a fun build to WrestleMania, but right before WrestleMania and everything that's happened since has been awful to his character. And this week, I literally felt like, Adam, that they were like, this was the final nail in the coffin, like not pardon the pun there on the death there. But like they were literally killing his character in this because think about the logic here. So Randy Orton, who kind of has his own like he hears voices and pounds on the ground and summons something inside of him. So his evil, we already know, is stronger than Bray's evil, right? He burned Abigail's ashes. And even though Bray ended up smearing them over his face in some kind of satanic baptism that certainly wasn't PG appropriate, (laughs) just to get that out there, Orton overcame it. Orton went into Bray's house, the house of horrors, and overcame it in one piece. So you know what we already know, Adam? 
that regular Finn Balor is strong enough to defeat Bray Wyatt. Do you know what we already know? That Finn Balor activating the demon is strong enough to beat Bray Wyatt. So why are we going to believe now that Bray hasn't already activated the spirit of Sister Abigail before because he's been talking about it for three years, but now he's just going to wake up and go, you know what, I, uh, yeah, you're, fans, you're right. I have been jobbing a lot lately. Why don't I actually let the spirit into my body and then we'll see who's <laughs> the boss. Like, enough of this crap. And, you know, Abigail going, her touch could save the world, but her kiss burns it to the ground. Stop the madness. <laughs> Here's what's really funny. I, w- I would almost pull what Handsome Nick did last week and ask you to repeat that entire thing so we could hear the absurdity of it again. But you guys can just rewind about 90 seconds and do it if you want to hear that BC rant. You know, I want to touch on a couple things here. First, with Bray. It's not, it wasn't just the House of Horrors match. It was once the book of Bray Wyatt, the booking of Bray Wyatt, got taken out of the SmackDown hands and put into WrestleMania, which you know is Vince, obviously, and the people now that run Raw, their hands. It completely changed him. He was the WWE champion. There was a triple threat match with Bray Wyatt, Luke Harper, and we will get to that, I promise you. Bray Wyatt, Luke Harper and Randy Orton, that was great. And you can make an argument that Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper should have triple-threaded uh, WrestleMania in you know one of the main events with Randy Orton and had that be a triple-threat title match. And you can make an argument that you de- Bray Wyatt definitely should have retained, and maybe Luke Harper should have won the title in that match. Instead, you have Bray doing the job with all those gimmicks and then everything that you just said from there, BC. With all of that said, I'm going to surprise you here. I didn't hate it. Don't do it. I did not hate it. I didn't love it. I still think that they are ruining him, and this is probably the end of his career, or at least the beginning of the total downfall of this character, where they eventually one day say, hey, we have something special in this guy. We're going to have to take him off TV TV for six months and do something new. But this this is the beginning of that. But I didn't hate this particular segment. I thought it was extremely well done from a technical standpoint. Even though the voice sounded a little bit auto-tuny, it worked. You had both levels, the Sister Abigail voice and the Bray Wyatt voice kind of underneath. It was creepy. It was weird. It kind of unsettled me a little bit. And you know what? That's what they were going for. Here's the problem. If Bray Wyatt was only Sister Abigail on the Titantron and with all those you know, technical enhancements, then it would work. But guess what? He has to wrestle, and he looks like he's going to have to wrestle That's either as— point. What's he going to do? Wear a, wear a bed sheet over his head with holes in it? Like, there, what's this? There's nothing they can do. They can't paint his face. They can't put something over his face. They can't give him a mask. There is no way that this is going to work. It's bad, and it's unfortunate. Bray Wyatt is a main eventer in WWE. He has the mic ability. He was saddled, not saddled. He had a Wyatt family gimmick that was working. You can make an argument they should have expanded it, that they should have gone further with it, with more of the cult leader stuff and less of the creepy stuff. They've ruined this guy. They've ruined a very good gimmick and a very good wrestler, and it's really unfortunate. And it's almost like sometimes something is so good in theory and thought something, but it could never be conceptualized and presented into you visually to equal what you think it could be. And this is one of those. We've heard about Abigail forever, 
maybe it's one of those things that unless you're going to put somebody in physical form, you're never going to properly do. So don't do it. It's like I sent you that tweet. I don't know who this guy is, but the lit on Twitter was basically like we wasted two to three years for Sister Abigail to be revealed just to find out that she's Bray Wyatt in a dirty ass bed sheet. And that sums it up perfectly to me. It's just like, why? Where are we going? And if he comes out in some absurd sort of like I love shout out to La Parka, by the way, I love La Parka playing guitar, doing all that stuff. But if he comes out in some La Parka skeleton and bone suit with a face paint and some pantyhose <laughs> over his face, I'm out. Guess what? I'm out right now. Like, this is just not it's not where we want to be. But, stop. But, stop. If the if the booking made sense, Adam, then maybe this would make sense. But the booking makes no sense. And when you have no foundation, the house will fall. So you have Harper and Rowan off TV. OK, they're on SmackDown. Yes, but they're off TV. You have Bray Wyatt teasing Sister Abigail and losing twice to Finn Balor. How difficult would it have been to find a female wrestler, and they have plenty of them now in developmental, some of whom, with a little makeup or whatever, would probably fit a Sister Abigail character pretty damn well. How some already do. And no, some, already, sorry, some, yeah, already do. some already do. How difficult would it be to make Sister Abigail real in his corner during the match, helping him out with whatever demonic or weird stuff that you want to you know, have her do, and then you have... Harper and Rowan come back in, and you reform the Wyatt family, and you have a good, strong, exciting faction. Maybe you tweak it a little bit, but how difficult is that as opposed to what we got on Monday and Tuesday night? I don't think it's that hard because I just did it. I just booked it, and I didn't plan it. I didn't write my notes down. I just came up with that on the fly. How, how tough is that? You didn't need the pool. You just booked the damn territory. It was that easy. Exactly. All right. We spent enough time on this, I think. I believe you agree, BC. Let's move on to SmackDown and what we saw coming out of Hell in a Cell on Tuesday night on SmackDown Live. Sami Zayn solidified that heel turn, in my opinion, BC, with his promo calling KO his brother and explaining that he is sick of being stuck in a land of mediocrity because of what Shane McMahon and WWE has done to him for being a good guy. What did you think? Did you buy into it, BC? Talk to me. I, I bought in big time. This was great stuff. I thought Sammy told the proper story that he needed to tell. It wasn't just that I'm frustrated that I've been the good guy for so long. I've been the nice guy. That, in a lot of ways, that's a little bit generic of how you write a heel turn. But they had the right details to it. The details basically saying Shane McMahon lied to me. I didn't really see that coming. It seems obvious now. But Shane McMahon brought me to SmackDown where I was jobbing on Raw and set, talked about the land of opportunity. But guess what? Shane McMahon never talked to me again. That's really believable. I'm sorry. Whatever, whatever we think of Shane as a person and character, it's actually pretty believable. It would kind of make sense on why he would come into there thinking, you know, I'm going to screw Shane and I'm going to help a guy who's beaten me so many times that if I can't beat him, I might as well join him. And what really made this awesome, you look on the smile on Sami Zayn's face while they were hugging at the end of that promo. That literally said everything. There was this evil laugh and the smile that was basically like, you have rescued me. KO, you got me out of jail. It's like for everything Sammy has done in NXT and on the main roster to put over KO as like a great worker and potential heel star and all that, now it's KO's time to return the favor to his real-life best friend. And I think you saw that come out with Sammy's smile. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, you know, I'm not – I don't even want to say cautiously optimistic because that's putting it too lightly. I'm optimistic. I'm very optimistic on what is going to happen here. Um, I don't want to repeat too much of what you said, so I'll, I'll go in this direction. I thought Zayn, we know he's good on the mic because he's done it. Uh, he's good backstage on the mic. He's good in the ring. He's a great in-ring worker as well. He doesn't come off to me as a bad guy, and maybe they're making the transition. And they probably are. 
but I think he needs to get a little rougher, a little gruffer, and a little bit more serious. He still seemed a little, like, happy-go-lucky explaining, hey, I helped my brother here, guys. This is why I did it. He needs to get rougher. He has to kind of cha- twerk that in his head. Well, tweak it in his head. They, I mean. they introduced his, the annoying side to his personality, which his coworkers say is like a real-life thing. Like, right. he's kind of just somebody who just talks. Maybe that was the beginning. And, and we saw him annoy people backstage. Maybe that was sort of the beginning of this is the kind of heel he's going to be. Yeah, maybe. And I hope it is. Um, but I just think, he like, KO, we've basically, in WWE at, at least, have only known him as a heel. And he's found that voice. And Dolph Ziggler's gone back and forth. And, and these, a lot of guys, The Miz, he's been a heel for a long time. That's something you grow and you develop, that, that heel persona, that voice. He needs to do that. I'm confident that he will. That, besides that, I thought this was almost perfectly executed. And KO, man, you know, Nick was talking about him on this uh, podcast here after the interview and in the following episode about how brilliant he is and how good he is on the mic and just how smart he can deliver lines. There was something that Kevin Owens said before Sami Zayn even came out when he's talking about, you know, almost that he was almost in heaven and he saw the pearly gates and he saw St. Peter there waiting for him, ready to reach out for him. And he dropped a line that to me was so brilliant. I almost made it my feel spot this week, BC. I felt my soul start to separate from my body. And and then I I began to ascend. And it was was such a bizarre feeling. It was like, it was like, I was floating outside of my body, looking down at myself. And then all of a sudden, here I was standing in a long, long line at the pearly gates. And you know, I don't, I don't like standing in line very much, so I was pretty aggravated as I'm standing there trying to figure out a way to cut in front of everybody. I was... I mean, that, that, that's the character. That sums it up, and, right? And you know I don't like standing in line very much, so I'm trying to cut in front of everybody online for the pearly gates he's talking. Like, that's perfection. That's I the mean, heel he voice. He cut the line when he came up and powerbombed John Cena on his first night, right? He cut the line when Triple H put the title in his hands. I mean, it, it matches up so well. Like that's that, that goes to his brilliance, but that's also the heel persona and just having it deep down inside that you know that's what your character would be thinking and doing that Sami Zayn needs to find if this is really going to work between these two. And I'm confident he will, especially because he's going to be doing it with KO, who's going to help him along if he needs help. I'm not saying he needs help. Sami Zayn is a professional, and he's done this for years as well. I'm very, very optimistic that this is going to go over strong on SmackDown. All right, I got a couple more points to make on this. We have we played the audio on our bonus episode uh, earlier this week, recapping Hell in a Cell and recapping, you know, Sammy coming out and a couple of things. But may- maybe we should have saw when Sammy Zayn debuted a new black T-shirt right. that had the dark black and red kind of. Maybe we should have saw that as a tease, as a foreshadowing, as an Easter egg. And certainly anybody that heard Kevin Owens last week and we played the audio for you on Monday should have maybe felt or heard what he said. But let's compare it just real briefly. The audio that KO said to us first, and then the audio that Sammy said to KO on the air on Tuesday night. I think you're going to like this. You know, we've been friends. We've been enemies. We've been at each other's throats. We've been uh, by each other's side. We've done it all. Uh, I, I would say that we're more like brothers than we are friends. Now, let me tell you something. Kevin Owens has been a lot of things to me over the years. He's been my best friend. He's been my bitter rival. He's been everything in between. But the one thing he's always been and will always be is my brother. I mean, th- th- that's spot on, right? That's, that's amazing. Fantastic. I mean, he gave us he, he gave us the storyline without giving us the storyline. 
That's, that, that, that's great. That's fantastic. The other point I wanted to make this, and I'm not sure I believe this point, but I started to think about this, and I want to hear your take on this, Adam. It begs an interesting question. So outside of KO's strong run with Cena, right, I mentioned upon his main roster debut, and aside the really good in-ring matches he did in early 2016 with Zayn, he hasn't been in too many great singles feud on the main roster. He's had great moments, hasn't been in these long, great st- – like, the run with Styles was okay – but we got to be honest, that was during Jinder's rise. The company clearly was not putting a lot of creative juice behind that feud. The stuff with Rollins exactly a year ago right now was okay, but it was stained by the fact that literally every single match had the exact same finish of cheating. So considering the comedic success KO had opposite Jericho at the end of 2016, where it carried Raw, and the fact that Chris really helped both of them raise their profile together, is this WWE admitting that they don't fully trust KO alone on top, that he's dynamic enough to carry the ball and carry the show, or is reuniting him with Zayn just the right story to tell, the right feud to start right now, especially if they have a long-term build toward Mania, which we tease they might on Monday. Am I reading too deep into this? I think it's more the Mania tease, and I'm going to bury Horowitz myself for that. I think it was two weeks ago at this point. I think it's more that than anything else. You have to remember, and this is also something I've been saying now for however long Jinder Mahal's held the WWE title, three months, whatever. He's like, his his reign, by the way, is extremely long compared to some other people, and that's a whole other topic for a whole other day. Um, but I think SmackDown, the male singles division, is completely screwed up. Um, it's their own doing. It's from putting the title on Mahal. It's from having Styles and KO feud for the U.S. title when they should have been feuding for the WWE title. They had Baron Corbin win Money in the Bank and then decide, well, this guy actually can't be WWE champion this year. It's not going to work. Um, they had Cena you know, crush him and kind of almost bury him, and now Styles is just putting him over. So what are you doing with KO and Sami Zayn now? There's really not a spot for them if there's two heel champions. You have to get them in some other different type of feud. I think what we're going to see is Kevin Owens start to take on some big names on SmackDown. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Shinsuke Nakamura feud coming up, maybe next. And if that does happen, you have Sami Zayn in his corner to allow Nakamura to lose and Owens to win and have it not you know, be Owens crushing Nakamura. I think they believe in Kevin Owens. I think they know what they have in him. And it's going to be really interesting to see what transpires between now and the Royal Rumble. I'm not saying WrestleMania, because Royal Rumble is where everything, they reset their plans. They come to the final decision nine times out of ten. This is the way we're going to go. I'm curious what happens over these next, let's call it, three months with Kevin Owens. Very, very much agreed on that. Well, that was our triple threat main event. A lot happening this week in WWE. You have to give them that credit coming off of Hell in a Cell. But, Adam, now we transition. No, 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 you know, crooked judge this week. No, Nick. (laughs) But we're still going to hit you up with Hero or Zero. Yeah, I mean, no judging this week, obviously. Maybe what you guys can do is uh, either hashtag in this corner and let us know who won or just tweet BC and let him know that he is going to lose this week. All right, BC, let's start with you. United States champion Baron Corbin pinned AJ Styles clean on SmackDown Live. He gave him a devastating, I don't know what you want to call it, toss outside the ring and then hit his finisher for the win to retain the United States title. What did you think? of WWE putting him over so strong in that match, Hero or Zero? 
I got to be really honest right away. Like when they met, when they made this main event so soon after hell in a cell, I was like, ah, oh, I know how this is going to end. Schmaz finished probably even Dillinger. Like I hate when you just run back what we just saw. I thought when he went over clean, I like, they got me. I was caught in the mark zone. Like I had the negative pop and for like 30 seconds, this was the biggest zero they ever could have done. I'm like scrambling for my phone, trying to text <laughs> people going like, what in the, like what in the wide world of sports is happening right now? Why? And then I sat and thought about it for a second and we made this point. I think it was Nick made this point coming into this pay-per-view that said th this result, this match, this triple, you know, which we thought it was a, a singles match. It turned into a triple threat. This will decide what the company actually thinks of Baron Corbin. And if there's any future for him in a big run, I thought about that for a second. And then, because look, this is all happening in like a 30 second span of my mind, right? And then Corbin does a post interview with Renee Young. I have it for you right here. Every single one of you can look at this championship and eat it because this is mine and it's not going anywhere. And you can cry, 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 and I'll buy a boat and float down the river of your tears because I enjoy every second of it. That was the best moment of Baron Corbin's entire career, not just his wrestling career, his football career, his amateur <laughs> boxing career, the, NFL, the cup of coffee in the NFL, all the fights he got into in practice in Arizona Cardinals camp. This was the best moment of his career, that promo right there. It put the cherry on top, and I went, you know what? That is, if you're going to push him seriously and you want us to start believing that's the guy to have him beat, and this is the surprising moment to deliver it in in the main event of SmackDown Live. And if you remember, there was some physical Baron Corbin moves in this match when AJ went for the calf, uh, you know, the calf slicer there, calf crusher that he does. Corbin took him by the hair and slammed his head backwards into the mat. I popped negatively, and I realized this in hindsight because I'm a big AJ Styles mark, and because I'm like, why are you doing this? Give him the the real championship already. But you do have to set the table and create B sides. Corbin in the long run is a B-side to get him to the level that he can be. This was a hero. It was definitely a hero. Up until that promo at the end of the show, I was, oh, I was happy anyway. But I kept thinking, why wasn't this the match that we got at Hell in a Cell? Why didn't they have Baron Corbin go over in a major spot on a decently promoted pay-per-view, one-on-one against AJ Styles? So that was kind of my little zero in there, because I always have to have a little, you know, zero. But hero for Baron Corbin, hero for WWE booking, and more important than both of those, hero for AJ Styles, who is putting dudes over in WWE. He gets himself over plenty, and good for him because he deserves it, because you can make an argument that he's the best worker and maybe the best wrestler in the entire company right now. But he, put, he did what John Cena even could not have done, because it's more believable for AJ Styles to lose to him, and it's more believable for AJ Styles to put him over in the way he did at that match. Baron Corbin was bigger than him, he was stronger than him, and it wasn't just the finish when he threw Styles outside the ring, then rolled him back in. It was what preceded that that you already mentioned. I loved it, hero. Let's move on to number two. That was a great point, by the way, because uh, my, my fear sometimes is that, you know, AJ's 40, his window's going to be small, but maybe his window's not as small as we think. Maybe this guy will look, still be doing at 55. Look, so we'll Chris, Chris Jericho is putting people over every single time he comes back, and he's still getting himself over. And, and what's really funny about Chris Jericho, a really quick point, he, a couple months ago, or when he just left, he said, hey, you know, I don't know if I'm coming back. And he just did another interview right now where he said, 
I don't know if I'm ever going to retire as long as I can kind of keep having this part-time schedule. So let's get more Chris Jericho I back. I got two words for you, DDP Yoga. Thank you very much. <laughs> exactly. Moving on, Adam, as the aforementioned former Wyatt family members, Luke Harper and Eric Rowan, remember them? One of them jobbed to The Rock at WrestleMania in six seconds a few years ago. Well, they haven't been on TV in a long time, but they debuted in just a very brief vignette. I will play you a portion of it. There is no conscience. There's no moral compass. The virtuous will fall. The wicked will rise. Broken bones. Severed spines. Harper. Rowan. Bludgeon Brothers. So they're kind of like the Wyatts, but they look like Vikings. Adam, hero or zero? I'm disgusted. I- I'm I'm so disgusted, and I don't want to look the gift horse in the mouth, but I kind of want to say, screw you, WWE, for doing this. You had an opportunity, finally, with Luke Harper off of television to do something with him, to repackage him, to bring him back in with a different gimmick, without anything, without the beard, without the hair, without Rowan by his side. You had an opportunity to take a guy who's extremely talented in the ring, one of your most talented in-ring performers in the entire company. You had an opportunity to take a guy like that, who's also pretty decent on the mic, when you give him the opportunity and repackage him and make him either a main eventer or a mid-carder, maybe even a face, maybe just doing something different. And instead, what do you do? You give him a rubber mallet, you give him Rowan next to him, that's the same sheep mask that he's been using since the beginning of the Wyatt family. And you call them the Bludgeon Brothers? They're the Ascension, but like with white family demonic stuff. They're a Viking version of the Ascension. They are awful. I don't be. I was talking to BC about this on Slack. We were messaging back and forth. He said, "How can you be so negative when you haven't seen what they're going to do yet? What do I need to see? What are they going to do that's different than what they've already done with these two in a tag team? How is it going to be different? There's going to be an awesome finisher. Great. The gimmick still sucks. They're still not going to be good on the mic together. This is a massive." Total zero, and I will not hear otherwise. <laughs> I love the passion. Yeah, I mean, if they end up being basically like uh, like the Berserker or Jace, John Nord, Nord the Barbarian, I mean, if it looks like that, I mean, it already feels 80s, then it might be a zero, but I think it's too early. Let's say it's a hero, slight hero, only because, and this is the, the only best point I can make, we haven't seen it yet, and they weren't on TV anyway and weren't no. being used. So I'm happy that they're back. I'm happy that they will get a chance. We'll see. Probably next week we'll have a better answer on on how good or bad this is. I it's don't, very early. I 20 don't, seconds. Can't, can't judge it off 20 seconds. we got to move on. Here. Judged and executed. Over. Those guys are, oh, they're buried. You want to talk about buried? You want to talk about Bray Wyatt being buried? Those guys are buried. All right. Let's move on back to Raw, and let me get off my uh, – High horse there. Emma won the fatal five-way match to determine... And by the way, they had a number one contender match to face Asuka. Not for a title. They had a number one contender match to face Asuka in her debut at TLC. Emma won. Uh, she pinned Sasha Banks. Kind of rolled her up at the end of the match. BC, was she the right one to go over in that match? And are you excited to see Asuka and Emma at TLC? It's a complicated answer. I'm going to overall give it a slight zero, but my biggest problem was the backstage scene that set it up in which Angle was talking to Bailey and Sasha Banks, and they were begging at the opportunity to face Asuka. And I know you could say, well, maybe Bailey should have. She lost twice to Asuka and lost her title. I mean, she lost brutally. She got put to sleep in that first one. So uh, if she's a competitor, of course she wants a second chance. 
the way they came across was like they were gleefully begging Kurt Angle for a chance. And and then, of course, Alicia Fox joined in Dana Brooke. I mean, they should be those those girls should just be begging for a chance to be on TV. So that was fine. But specifically, uh, Sasha and Bailey. I mean, maybe you should be begging to fight for the championship against Alexa Bliss where you belong. And maybe you should be begging Angle and going, why the heck is Mickey James there? And that's, again, not a slant against the good stuff Mickey James is doing. It's just that booking wise, she doesn't deserve it. So to see them going way overboard, like, no, I want to be Asuka's first victim. I do. <laughs> it's it's a slight zero. Look, Emma going over, it makes sense. She's going to play the Chris Jericho, Dolph Ziggler role that, that happened to AJ and Nakamura coming in. They need a veteran who, you know, who's willing to lose, who can kind of look good. It supports the fact that Asuka's going to come in strong and win in the beginning. So that's good. But overall, do we re- do we need another five person women's match to for a number one contender for a non title? It just was a zero to me. So I'd be disingenuous if I called this anything other than a hero because one of the things I've been kind of complaining about, you know, over the last let's call it month or two months or whatever since we started this podcast here is that WWE only knows how to book one female angle at a time. It's been a really major issue on both shows going back forever. It's either the title picture or if the title is for some reason not being defended, it's a tag team match with the champion on one of the teams. Like, there's only one angle at a time that's allowed for women wrestling. And on a three-hour Raw, there should be two or three at any given time. There's enough women. With Asuka coming in, there's enough good women. You know, they need to do more. So for that reason, it's a hero because they actually found a way to get the women on television twice in one show and have it not be about the title the second time. So kudos to them for that. I also think Emma was the right person to win that match. You need, the like, some of these women, they have to get victories. They can't, You can't have two women win every single match. You can't only have Alexa Bliss and Sasha Banks and occasionally Nia Jax, because she's so much bigger, be the only women who win on that show. So you have to have some of these other women win matches so that they're competitive, so that they're legitimate threats, and that so that number one contender matches, when you can have one-on-one matches in the future, do mean something. So for that reason, I'm happy that Emma went over. She deserved the win. It was nice that Sasha Banks got pinned, but didn't get you know kind of buried on, on a legitimate pin by Emma. Um, and you also want to kind of save Sasha for this Alexa Bliss feud. You don't want to. You don't want Sasha, and you don't want Bailey jobbing to Oscar right out of the gate. You want Oscar to kind of make her run through the division all the way up until Alexa Bliss has no choice but to defend and lose her title to Oscar at some point soon. Well, Adam, we move on here. Hero or zero. Cruiserweights headlining Raw for the third straight week. And not just that, but Kalisto goes over Enzo Amore in a lumberjack match in the main event to win the Cruiserweight Championship. H or Z. I'm going to make this really short. I and, and I know you agree with me, BC, on this. WWE changes titles too often. And that's across the entire brand. But the Cruiserweight title has changed hands. I'm losing count now. What? Like seven times going back and forth with Tazawa and Neville and now Enzo Amore and Cl- so all right, four, maybe five. Uh, and no, now- I think it's legitimately seven times in like 14 months. Yeah. I mean, it's really absurd. It's getting absurd and especially this this is not the hardcore title. Like this shouldn't be changing hands every single night. So we're going to get to why this may have happened in the fifth part of Hero Zero. But this is a zero for me. I, I don't dislike Kalisto. I think he's been better on the mic in his, you know, one week stint in the cruiserweight division than he ever was in his entirety of the main roster though they basically only let him talk once he flubbed it and then he never spoke again i don't think you know the rest of his entire tenure in wwe but he's doing decent on the mic 
The belt probably should be on him. It's nice that they have a headliner for the division, and he's a really good one to have. But Enzo was doing amazing things with the championship in the cruiserweight division over the last three weeks. Why are you taking it off of him after just a month? Give him at least two months. Give him at least 10 weeks with the title. So that's a zero for me. Yeah, it's kind of a split just for what you said. Taking it off is a zero. I mean, he's the reason they got people to care and watch. But I, I'll be disingenuous if I didn't say I wasn't entertained by Enzo, by this being in the main event. Somehow, again, they're doing it with mirrors, but it's working. This was another entertaining segment. I know he's doing the same thing every week, throwing the one-liners at the cruiserweights. I don't know how, but it's working. And because Kalisto is a great worker, I think that's part of why it worked. His superplex off the top rope Amazing. into the crowd below was a fantastic spot and reminded you how good he can be when they set him up correctly. That part was a hero but it's like, man, you know, then they kind of, you know, kick, then they kind of spite themselves afterwards. So it's another kind of split situation where, you, where you're grading both ways. So let's but. talk, talking about a split situation, let's move on to number five here. There are rumors, multiple reports from some pretty good outlets, including the Wrestling Observer, Pro Wrestling Sheet, I think PWI Insider as well, that Neville walked off of, you know, of WWE before Raw and refuse to either do the job or fight Enzo in the main event or remain in the cruiserweight division or whatever the case. We don't know the entire story at this time. Again, these are reports from some of those outlets. There are other reports that Neville completely quit WWE over whatever this spat is. Now, that has seemingly been, been debunked, and apparently a lot of WWE people are telling some of these outlets that that is not the case, that he has not quit, but they are admitting that he walked off Raw. So we don't fully know what went down Monday night B.C., but tell me here, hero or zero on Neville staging a protest at his spot in WWE right now? I could not be a more a larger hero on this. And if it did come down to what some of the reports are saying, that they said, you're going to be in the main event, but you will job to Enzo in this lumberjack non you know match, then... Uh, it's, I mean, like, if this is true, then it seemed a little spiteful that they put the bell on Kalisto almost to say, you know, screw you. But overall, it's a hero for this. Neville's really, really, really good. And we talked about it in the pay-per-view rewind a few weeks ago, how good he was in NXT. And while they butchered him as a babyface on the main roster, they have perfectly repaired him. But the thing is, if their ceiling for him is only the cruiserweight division, then guess what? He just had a really impressive title reign where he put on one really good pay-per-view match after another, and then he lost to Enzo, and now it seems like he's been worked out of the top main event picture. So if that is his ceiling, and this doesn't mean that this was a launch to a IC title run, then you really have to start asking yourself this. Neville already in his 30s, right? Already like has a short window to be really great at this business that he's already really great at. The w is 31 years old. The WWE schedule is brutal and backbreaking. And if you're just going to do house shows around the world, you're making good money, but you're not furthering yourself as an artist. Neville right now in Ring of Honor or New Japan or any of the, of the top level indies would be a star. Would do, imagine him in the G1 tournament. Amazing. He would do five star matches every single day of the week. If that's his intention to basically be I'm worth more than this, I'm better than this. If this is all you have for me, then I am ready to walk. I support you, Neville, and I support anyone else who's following the Cody Rhodes model out of basically saying I'm better than this. Not That's not completely a slight at WWE because they have their own plan, structure, and system, right? It's a different type of booking than other territories, other promotions. But for these guys, hero all the way. So I'm going after the win here on this point, and I'm, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on purpose, but I do have a conviction and believe this. So there's a lot of ways to tell your employer that – you don't like what's going on. 
You ask for a raise. You ask for a promotion. You, you know, you know, you work harder. You, 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 maybe you don't work as hard if you don't really feel like, you know, they're, they're, they're treating you right and they're doing a good job with you. You don't walk out. You don't put a company in the entertainment business in such a tough creative position that they have a plan for you on that night's show and you just leave the arena if, if these reports are true. You just walk out and you force their hand to do something like this. This isn't saying, hey, guys, if I'm, st- if I'm still in the cruiserweight division next week, I'm done. That's not what this is. This is if I'm, not in the, if I'm still in the cruiserweight division, I'm walking out now. That's unfair to WWE. We give their booking a lot of crap. And I'm kind of giving Kalisto being the Cruiserweight championship champion a little crap because they made another title change. But if Neville forced their hand to do it, then that's bad on him. There's ways to get out of contracts. You ask nicely. You ask for your release. You kind of go along with things. You let them write you out a storyline. That's professional wrestling. That's how it works. Okay? When, when you do something like a little underhanded. Well, we, don't, we don't know, though, the, the backstage. We don't know the promises that may have been. No, you don't. Stuff. You don't. But when you do something underhanded, Brett screwed Brett. Neville yeah, but you don't Neville. know this like, is unhanded, so you can't you can't jump on the soapbox without the without the without the full. I'm just question. saying I'm just saying the way you handle it with a company. I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about whether what they promised him, what they didn't, or what he feels he deserves, or what he didn't. I'm talking about how you handle the situation. You say to them, guys, if this is the direction my career is going, I'll work tonight and I'll maybe work 205 Live if you need me, but I'm done after that. You don't walk out Monday of the show and leave them scrambling. It's not fair, especially if all these reports are true, and he was booked in the main event of Monday Night Raw. So I don't like that. That is a zero for me. The hero I will give you is basically the point you made, BC, and it's this. He deserves better. He should be on the main roster. He should be competing for the U.S. or the Intercontinental title, or he should maybe be in a tag team with Finn Balor if you're not going to do anything with Finn and let them just absolutely dominate as maybe the most exciting tag team since the Hardy Boys in WWE. There's a million things you can do with Neville outside of the Cruiserweight division. They booked him extremely strong as King of the Cruiserweights. It was awesome. Well, Adam, funny you should mention Finn Balor, right? How about that for a transition? He is our guest of the week and a surprise to everyone out there. Handsome Nick did join us for this pre-recorded interview. You're going to love what you hear from this as Finn goes deep on plenty of subjects right in the midst of this feud with Bray Wyatt. Let's throw it to Finn right now. Enjoy. Incredibly pleased to welcome in Finn Balor to the In This Corner podcast. Special thanks to WWE 2K18, which is available worldwide October 17th for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Windows PC later this fall for Nintendo Switch. And let me tell you, listeners, you can pre-order the Deluxe Edition right now and not only get to play the game early, but you get to play with Kurt Angle. Very, very cool. But, Finn, I got to ask you right off the top, for, for an opportunity like this, you know, a couple of years into WWE, is it still weird for you to see yourself, whether it's in an action figure or in a really cool game like 2K18, you know, to pick up the controller and know your family members across the globe can do the same and play you? What's that like? Uh Brian, interesting question, but to be honest, I try and keep both things separate and like real life and kind of WWE fantasy superstar Finn Balor uh, separate. Uh, I think it's more weird for like my brothers and like my nephews and nieces to kind of, you know, see action figures and uh, see the video games. But uh, I just try and, you know, keep my feet on the ground and not kind of lose sight of reality. And to be honest, you know, we're so busy at WWE, you know, we got three uh, house shows a week. We got you know TV every week. We got paid views coming up. We're doing all this media that you know you kind of uh, you kind of don't even have time to to sit back and and take it all in. You know. 
Absolutely. I, I, I can't imagine what that schedule is like, which does maybe open up the door for so, being away for some free time to play games like this. And I'm sure in this game, you know, we get the opportunity as fans, as users to play the Demon Finn Balor or the regular Finn Balor. And we had a great chance to talk to you SummerSlam weekend to ask you on our podcast at the red carpet event for 2K18. You really gave us some good insights about, you know, what it takes to prepare that character. But I wanted that was curious of this because we debate on the show, which Finn is better. What do you hear from your fans? What do the fans prefer best? Regular Finn, you know, the leather jacket, cool look with the smoke or the demon character that comes out lately for the big events? Yeah, I'm not sure which one the fans prefer. I'm not sure which one I prefer. But what I do know is that in 2K18, that Finn leather jacket version is not as strong as uh, Demon King Finn Balor. Uh, And I'm a little bit curious about that because clearly Finn Balor created Demon King. So uh, I don't know is it is it compliments to the Demon King is an insult to Finn Balor uh, but I'm still kind of trying to work out the kinks with, uh, with 2K18 and uh, the 2K team and uh, honestly I think I'm, we might have a big problem with next year because you know they've been asking me uh, to do the, the, the cover for 2K19 and you know I might have to decline them next year because of this issue you know well, Finn, I mean, it's a video game. You know how this works. You put some face paint on, all of a sudden, like, your stats go up. That's how it works. I guess that's why, you know, maybe the demon's a little stronger in the game than the leather jacket, uh, Finn Balor. You know, Brian referenced, you gave us some really insightful answers when we talked to you um, before SummerSlam at the 2K18 event in Manhattan, and we really appreciated it. Our listeners really loved it. And you talked about getting into the role of playing the demon and what that requires from you mentally and physically. And it was really, really sort of interesting, the answers that you gave. And I was hoping you could give us something different with this question here. The challenges that you face, one versus the other, not necessarily what you do to get ready for the demon, but the different mindset that you have when you go out leather jacket Finn Balor than you do when you're going to be demon Finn Balor. And honestly, I think this speaks to your versatility as a performer that you're able to go out there and execute both at such a high level. Well, well, thank you for the compliments. Uh, but I've never actually been asked this question before, but this is the answer that springs to mind, is that if I'm going to go as Finn Balor, I am going to take my time. I'm going to uh, trust myself and my ability to adapt to the situation in hand. Uh, but... I'm not going to go 100 miles an hour. I'm going to almost be a little bit standoffish to the point where, you know, I'm going to wait for those guys to make the first move and I'm going to counter act and react to, to their movements. On the switch side, the demon is just literally going out there 100 miles an hour, straight, straight ahead, uh, head down, and I'm just going to, to fight. And uh, there's kind of not so much uh, a tactic or uh, you know a game plan as opposed to just going half a letter flat to the mat and uh, and uh, enter demon came out. You, the human being, when your head hits the pillow at night and you're alone with your thoughts, which one do you identify with more? Do you identify more with Finn Balor, the leather jacket wearing version, or do you personally identify more 
with the Demon King version. It's a personal question, Nick. Come on, let's be honest. I'm here. Yeah, it, it, it's a personal question, but uh, I would have to say I'm 50 50, and uh, it flips back and forth. But uh, I always, you know, when I, when I unwind at night, I try not to think about wrestling, uh, try not to think about work. Uh, I'll try and pick up uh, my Nintendo Switch and play a couple games of Mario Kart or 2K or FIFA uh, just to kind of unwind and chill out. But I think. Uh, I think I'm split 50-50 in, in which one I am and which one I want to be. And I'm not sure. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's where this whole uh, dilemma comes from. And, you know, I know I gave you guys some answers that uh, at summertime, but as a person, like, I'm so wishy-washy. I've got such a short attention span. Uh, I change my mind so often that I'm probably giving you a completely different answer um, than I gave you at summertime. <laughs> Finn, you're currently embroiled in a very, very, very interesting feud with Bray Wyatt that has the fans talking, has us on this podcast debating back and forth whether we, you know, love or hate each step of the way because it's such a different setup using, you know, the the dark arts, using the different almost spiritual angles going on there. Taking a big step further as we record this this week, of course, with the reveal of Sister Abigail. How jazzed up do you get? for this type of feud when it's so different than the traditional grappler versus submission expert, when it's, you know, a virtual shoot, shoot fight, and when there's other elements at play. For a lot of us, it touches on some of the storylines we saw in the 80s and 90s as kids. I'm sure maybe the same for you. How different is that for you, entering something so creative like this? I'm, I'm loving it. I'm seeing it as a challenge, something new, something fresh. I've been wrestling for almost 18 years now. And, you know, I've done grappler versus striker, striker versus wrestler, uh, you know, high flyer versus mat technician. I've done every style of match that you can possibly think of. And uh, to be kind of put in this situation with, you know, probably one of the most interesting characters of our time, uh, you know, I'm being given the opportunity to kind of, you know, work this program and kind of, you know, adapt to the situation, kind of figure out his character, learn how he, uh, learn how he works. Uh, you know, it's been a challenge for me, and uh, you know, you can only get better by challenging yourself. And um, and this is something that you know, I don't know how fans are reacting to it. I don't don't know how you know critics are reacting to it. But for me, I'm I'm uh, I'm welcoming the challenge, and I'm enjoying it. What's been the biggest challenge that you've faced as a result of this program with Bray Wyatt? You mentioned there have been several. What's the biggest one? Um, I think uh, the biggest challenge was getting the opportunity to talk more than uh, than I I previously been given the opportunity uh, to do. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest, you know, I'm not someone who likes to go out there and talk. I like to go out there and fight. Uh, But, you know, I've kind of had to you know, adapt to this storyline and, you know, there's a lot more talking involved and uh, uh, something that, you know, I know as a performer, I need to improve uh, on my talking skills. And uh, that's something uh, that I've kind of welcomed that opportunity. And, you know, I'll be uh, I'll be as nervous going out there uh, to do, you know, an in-ring talking segment than I, as I will be to go there and perform in a match. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a new challenge. Uh, it's something that, you know, keeps me pushing myself 
and uh, I'm, I'm, I feel like uh, you know I'm growing and developing uh, another skill set. Is that something that you spend a lot of time thinking about, Finn? Sort of like the microphone portion of this whole deal? Because I'll be honest with you, you know, we do this podcast once a week, and we are huge fans of yours. How could you not be? You're a wizard in the ring, and like you said, getting better on the microphone, no doubt. And I've always said. I want to see you with more of an opportunity to go out there and showcase that personality that you have that we saw at the 2K18 event that we see when you're, when you're doing the demon routine. Is that something that you spend time thinking about? Like, okay, this is something I'm going to do on the microphone this week. How much time do you spend thinking on that? We know how good you are inside of the ring. How much thought do you put into going out there on the microphone, what you're going to say and how you're going to present yourself? Uh, I think uh, in the past I used to overthink it, uh, and maybe that's what was the issues. You know, I was more worried about like how I was going to word something as opposed to just getting uh, the simple point across. And uh, I think uh, kind of having a more relaxed approach to just having a couple of key points that you want to get out, and once you get those out, doesn't really matter how you say them. Uh, that's kind of something that uh, I've tried to adapt over the last couple of months. And uh, I think that's helped me a lot. Finn, when you look at it, look, we, one of the great quotes you gave us in, in, in talking to you before is like, I know, you know, a lot of people out there loved you in the Bullet Club. They loved following your history to get to this point. Now, the Balor Club, it's a different story, different character, different presentation. You said those were great days, but I'm doing something different these days. But just from the standpoint of having a faction around you, is that something that you look forward to being a part of again in the future, being grouped with another set of guys doing something different? Or is the dream always to be a single guy on top wearing the belt doing things solo? Uh, good question. Obviously, um, having a faction is very cool. And uh, it's very easy to kind of lean on each other and kind of, you know, prop each other up with, you know, star power. And, you know, obviously four superstars walk out there has more appeal than one. Uh, but I think uh, right now I'm trying to mean kind of the pressure that is heaped on me as a singles performer and that the fact that it's down to me to perform. I used to play team sports when I was a kid. And uh, I didn't like the fact that kids wouldn't turn up for training. Kids, you know, wouldn't perform on the day of the show or uh, the match, whatever. And uh, I like to be reliant on myself. And I know I can rely on myself because I know that every day that I turn up, I'm going to give it 100%. I'm going to be fully committed. I'm not going to miss training sessions. I'm not going to be underprepared. I'm not going to be out all night partying. I'm going to be well-rested. I'm going to be focused. I'm going to be driven. And if I fail, it's on me. And uh, I like that pressure uh, on myself. Uh, in the future, if I get the opportunity to put a faction together, should I go back in time and re try, try and recreate something from the past? Or should I be an artist and try and create something new, like uh, fresh, that can live on again forever? So uh, these are all questions you've got to ask yourself, man, but there's no real answer because we're talking hypotheticals right now. But uh, right now, I'm very focused on what I'm doing. And I almost feel like I have my own faction anyway because there's the Demon King and there's Finn Bala. <laughs> there's really two people, you know? Which do you prefer more, Finn? And I'm not asking, are you going to do this? I'm not asking if you want to do this. I'm just saying, which do you prefer more? Playing 
the good guy character that you've been playing in WWE or playing the bad guy character that you've played other stops in your career? Which do you like more? The bad guy character. Why? And I know that that's, I, I know that's the answer you weren't expecting to hear me say, but uh, I feel like it's very easy to, ch- uh, to channel everything that annoys you. Uh, and that's, that's, it's an easy character to play for me. It's like, you know, I get annoyed by the smallest, stupidest little things, uh, you know, and it's easy to chat, uh, channel that in the room. It's very difficult. Like what, Faden? Like, well, like, give me, a, give me an example of something little. Give me an example of something little that annoys you, that you channel and you take into the ring with you. Can you give us something? Okay. Okay. When I was, when I was uh, performing in Japan, uh, I love the country dearly, but their language, to say thank you, took about 10 minutes, right? Uh, to introduce the performer took about 10 minutes uh, due to their language. And, you know, coming to the ring, Finn Balor, that's it, right? Don't WWE. Coming to the ring, weighing in 200 pounds from whatever, please welcome, thank you very much, kindly, this is. <laughs> A warm welcome for her. Like, you know, it's just extra thrills, and it's all uh, pageantry, and it's all uh, just a lot of, like, unneeded things. And that used to drive me crazy. I shouldn't, but I'm just like, just get to the point. I just, I don't want to waste any time there. Just get to the point. So there's a lot of things like that that would, uh, that would drive me insane. And, of course, not at the beginning, but I'm talking about eight years later. Like, a, it's a foreign language. I'm like, look, just get to the point and introduce me so I can rest it. And uh, I think uh, I think it was a lot of little things like that, and probably being homesick and wanting more, and wanting to challenge myself more, and maybe not being fulfilled, and maybe having that deep down was wanting to be in WWE, and like being pissed off in the situation that I was in, uh, but not even realizing it. So. I've gone completely off on a tangent, so I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. No, no, that was you, know, you were talking about how you take those little things and how that you channel that, and that that's why you sort of enjoy being a, the bad guy role more because you take that stuff in with you and you channel your frustration and your anger in those moments into becoming that bad guy character that you enjoy. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's easy to be a bad guy, badass. It's very difficult to be a good guy, badass in a, you know, PG era. So, uh, so I'm enjoying the challenge of you know being a being a good guy performer in a PG era because it's a very difficult thing to do. But in reality, it's not like it can be difficult. But all you have to do is go out there and give everything you have every week, and the fans will react to that. Just go out there, be yourself, like you care about, and be like no one. Don't and be somewhere else. Just go out there and be yourself. Absolutely. And you've done that very well in the sense of, you know, putting out a very unique character, a very unique look. I mean, sometimes you... You do the subtle things. Sometimes it's just look in your eyes, and I get the feeling this guy's a little bit different, and I think that's part of your success. 
Your success started on the main roster WWE, well-documented, of course, when you won the Universal Championship at SummerSlam last year. And WWE did a great job through the 24 documentary series, really showing that journey, the emotional up and downs, the physical uh, that you went through. When you look back at that time, what do you think you gained from being off that is now helping you today as a performer? So I feel like uh, we moved so fast in this uh, in this you know time, yeah, uh, and society that like we never really get an opportunity to kind of sit back and and take stock of what we've achieved. And you know, for me, I was going like 100 miles an hour for 16 years, and you know, I'd been all over Europe, been in Japan for a long time, came to NXT. Uh, didn't even take a breath, you know, got straight up to the main roster, beat Roman Reigns on my first night, uh, won the title three weeks later against Seth Rollins at SummerSlam, my first title year. And uh, it was such a whirlwind that I never had a, an opportunity to kind of sit back and say, holy cow, you're really doing it, man, you know? And uh, I think that time off was kind of the first standard break that I've, I've had from uh, pro wrestling in a long time and it helped me not only kind of take stock of where I was at and what I was doing but also kind of reflect on the journey that I've had and you always kind of feel like you don't belong you know you, for, for the longest time in my life I always felt like someone's going to catch me out here. It's like I just snuck in the back door. I've like someone's left the fire exit open and I've just snuck into, into the Indies. I've just snuck into New Japan. I've just snuck into NXT. I've just, you know, I've, I've just a security and I've just snuck into WWE. And uh, for the longest time I had that feeling, I was like, that. I didn't belong. And uh, I think that time out, kind of having an opportunity to reflect on, you know, the journey that I've had and, uh, you know, and it takes stock of everything that had happened. Uh, I finally realized that, you know, I do belong in WWE and I do belong at the top. And it kind of gave me that confidence and self belief that uh, I can perform in any situation. And even, you know, you talk about the journey of, like, that I had to get there. Like, the journey that I went through in that SummerSlam match was equally as important. Because I'm, in one of the biggest matches in my career with pretty much one arm hanging out of the socket. And then I have to, you know, it was dislocated three times in that match. I had to relocate it three times myself. And, you know, going through that, you know, journey of kind of self-discovery in one match, of saying, like, you can get through this. Like, and having that belief to get through it and, you know, finish the task in hand. And it gave me a, a, a kind of new sense of confidence in myself to adapt to any situation that I'm put in in the future. And, uh, you know, I'm not afraid to go into the ring with anybody, ever. And, uh, and I think that has been kind of more, kind of more deeply instilled in me now, uh, you know, having gone through everything that I've gone through. I apologize for asking this question because I'm sure you've been asked it before. I have never heard the answer, though, and I think our listeners would really like to hear it. I think it's really fascinating, right? You in that match at SummerSlam, you're going to win the championship and you get hurt and you know that you're hurt. And you said you relocated your shoulder several times. And I'm sure your mind's in a million different places in that moment, knowing I'm hurt right now and I don't know what's going to happen after this match and I've got to gut it out. Can you sort of lead us through your thought process during the match? 
and after the match. Because I can't even imagine just on a human level all the different emotions that must have been running through your body and your mind in that moment and, and in the moments, the subsequent ones, once the match was over. Yeah, so uh, the first thing that went through my mind is that uh, when I hit the barrier and my shoulder turned out, I thought, very typical of you, Fergal, to dislocate your shoulder in the biggest match <laughs> your career and put yet another obstacle in your way. Uh, uh, so I'm laying on the ground uh, and I'm looking at the referee I'm looking at the camera I'm seeing Seth celebrating uh, I'm hearing the crowd I can see my parents in the front row and I go okay so there's two things that can happen here you can tell the referee what's happened you can have a doctor come down and you can be the guy that forever blew his, his chance or you can relocate your shoulder and at least, at the very least, you can get back in the ring. Because, you know, without getting back in the ring, the match is not going to continue. And uh, that's what I did. I popped my shoulder back in. I fell back in the ring. The referee said, you okay? I said, I hurt my shoulder, but I think I'm okay. Uh, I continued the match and I kind of took that step-by-step approach to every moment in that match. You know, I knew what I was going to do next, and I thought, can you do this? Yes, you can. Can you do this? Well, no, I can't, but I can do something different, and that will, you know, be uh, at least, uh, you know, an alternative to what I was going to do. So uh, it was very much a step-by-step. It wasn't, you know, if you you look at the path of laying outside the ring uh, five minutes into a 20-minute match with a dislocated shoulder, and, you know, how am I going to finish this? You're not really going to be able to do it. But if you break it down and go a bunch of steps, you know, uh, and just complete each, each uh, part of that 15 minutes that are remaining, stuff like that, uh, you know, you can do it. And that's what I do. I think it's pretty obvious to anyone that watches you that your talent is absolutely off the charts. I'm not just saying that because you're on the phone with us here. I would say this to anyone that would listen. I say it on our podcast. Everyone knows it. Everyone can tell. Just from listening to you talk, it seems to me that your obstacle that you faced in your career and maybe even your life, I don't want to assume anything. I'll let you answer the question, has maybe been your own sort of inner monologue. And I think a lot of people face this, right, where it's, can I do this? You have all the talent in the world, and you've come to that place where you're like, I do belong here. But it just sounds to me like in all the buildup that you had leading up to that injury, the time that you had off, was maybe you in your own mind sort of the biggest obstacle that you faced to getting where you are right now, being one of the biggest superstars in the entire world in WWE? Uh, probably, you know, but, I, you know, we all struggle with, you know, we can say we believe in ourselves and, you know, we can say uh, we, uh, you know, we think we can do it. And I do believe in myself, and I do know I can do it. And I always did, but there's always that lingering doubt. And I think, uh, you know, for the longest time in my career, I kind of struggled with, you know, kind of keeping that doubt in check. And uh, I think having gone through what I went through at, at SummerSlam, uh, kind of took me to the next level, gave me a new sense of confidence in myself. And... Uh, that has been kind of the key factor in kind of what has changed uh, since I debuted on Raw is that, like, now I really believe, you know. I, 
And I always believed in myself. And, you know, you would, I wouldn't have even gotten to have a first match if I didn't believe in myself that I could do it. But there's always been doing doubts in everyone's mind, I'm sure. And probably, uh, probably questioned things a lot more by, you know, a lot of people would have said, you know, you're too small, you know, you're Irish. You know, they want six foot four, excellent American football players that, you know, can talk and act in Hollywood and be like The Rock. You know, you're not that, you're not that guy, you know, you're, you're a different entity, you know, you belong in Japan now. And like, yeah, I don't know about that. So, there was always kind of, in school, you're not going to be a wrestler. Then I became a wrestler in England. And, uh, well, you'll never do anything more than England. Oh, yeah, watch this when you're out to Japan. Well, you'll never be a big star in Japan because, uh, you know, they only like uh, their homegrown guys. Oh, yeah, well, watch this. And, well, you'll never do anything outside of Japan, outside of Japan, because uh, you know, you're too small, you're too short, and, you know, you're Irish, you know, you have an accent. Uh, oh, yeah, watch this. Oh, well, you'll never, you know, you'll never adapt to the WWE style because, you know, you're too hard-headed and, you know, your style doesn't suit and you're too small. Oh, yeah, watch this. So, like, it's kind of a process of self-discovery like my whole career, and, uh, I just love when people tell me that I can't do things, you know. When people tell me like that, I can't do black guys, and I go, you want to bet? <laughs> Watch this. Well, you mentioned Lesnar there, and I love how, how candid you were and, and how much you're, you're sharing with us. We really appreciate this. The cool part about the 2K18 game is, is the whole idea of kind of playing out some of those fantasy matchups that you mentioned. There's 200 uh, superstars on the roster this year from, you know, legends, Hall of Famers to to the 205 Live in an updated NXT roster and expanded. But that's sort of the direction of my question, because when I sat down and had a chance to finally play this game, I instantly put Finn Balor against 1991 Sting and put it at the Bash at the Beach ring, right? Old school WCW. <laughs> And it's sort of like, and that makes me pop, right, as a fan. But you know what just makes me pop just as much? The idea of Finn against AJ Styles. Can they main event WrestleMania? Can they make a five-star match? You mentioned Brock Lesnar. They don't give you the book. But if you have the pencil in the book and you know your own abilities and something like a five-star match might mean something to you, which guy in the WWE roster might give you that best chance to create the best match of your career, do you think? Well, I don't know if uh, this can actually happen, but when you order or pre-order, you know, uh, the game, you get two versions of Kurt Angle. And I would like to face either one of those versions, either the ECW version or the American Heroes version. But, you know, for the longest time, I've been a huge admirer of Kurt Angle. Uh, never thought that I would have the opportunity to work uh, alongside him. Uh, you know, seeing that he's been away from WWE for so long. He's now back at Vogue uh, at Raw as general manager, but is he or is he not done wrestling in the ring remains to be seen. Uh, if, you know, that would, that would definitely be a dream match for me uh, to, to face Kurt Angle. Uh, you, we've asked a lot of sort of serious questions and very, very much appreciate your candor, Finn, both this time and the last time that we spoke. So thank you very much. I want to hit you with something fun. I've been watching wrestling for 30 years. It's You've been a fan your entire life. You've been wrestling your entire life. You are one of the biggest wrestlers in the world. We all know that one of the things that makes a professional wrestler is his entrance, 
and his theme music. And you, undoubtedly, have one of the best entrances and themes that we've seen, not just now in current WWE, but in the 30 years that I've been watching, and I've been watching the entire WrestleMania era of WWE. Can you tell us the first time that you heard it, the first time that you heard the theme song, what you felt, and did you know in that moment, this is it, like this is what it's going to be? So uh, rewind back about three years on that and NXT uh, TV taping. It's probably like three weeks before my NXT debut. So uh, I'm at ringside with Low Dog and Triple H, and they call me on and say, "Hey, Sam, we uh, we want you to hear something." And uh, Hunter gets on the headset to the truck and he goes, "Hey, can you hear things news? We want to play it." And uh, Hunter just says, uh, "Hey, have a listen to this. See if you like it." You know, we can tweak it if you want, and you know, but you know, we think this is kind of cool. And uh, we queued it up. They played it in the in the, the full tail arena over the PA. This is before doors opening up. People were just getting ready for the show, and uh, pretty much like the whole place stopped. Like, this music is that that is cool. And like, uh, I was just kind of like eyes wide open, shaking my head a little bit, going, "Jeez, that's crazy." And uh, Low Dog's kind of making these kind of motions like the way, you know, he dances. He goes, yeah, man, I can just picture you guys like coming out. Like, and I can only like to describe like a robot dance, you know, but like, yeah, man, like really getting into it, the demon. And then like, uh, I just turned, uh, Hunter turned to me and said, um, you know, guys, do you want to like change, tweak? You know, well, what do you think? I said, man, I think that's the one. I wouldn't change the thing. And, uh, you know, we toyed a little bit with the intro. Uh, you know, the happy and that, but like once that we, I, I call it the suck out, where it goes, but like from that moment in the track uh, has been consistent, uh, you know, since I debuted. But, you know, we tweak it a little bit uh, for the demon entrances sometimes, and we had a little bit of an intro on it uh, for the beginning uh, of Raw, but uh, we've, we've taken that out. It was kind of chewing up too much time, but I mean, if you guys love it, that I'm. I'm the type of person that like like change things so much. I'm kind of already wanting to change it, not like change the layout or the structure of the song, but just maybe give it a little bit more. Uh, watch this space and see what happens. Wow, wow! Be like no one. The theme for WWE 2K18. That entrance, that look, the character is like no one else. You can purchase this game October 17th for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Windows PC. You can pre-order the deluxe edition four days ahead and play. Now, play that Kurt Angle-Finn Balor matchup that we talked about. That's a dream one day. Hope we get to see that. Finn, it's been a great time chatting with you. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks so much for the, for the candor, everything else. Best of luck to you. I want to see where this is going. I want to see if you can land that coup de grace on Sister Abigail herself. That's all I'm saying. That's the fan in me. But thanks so much for joining us and talking with us. All right. Thank you very much. Wow, Adam, Finn Balor. I mean, you want to talk about getting an opportunity to speak with a current superstar and getting them to, to really open up, you know, about the character, about the journey. Very introspective character there, a person, but a lot to say when you really break down the struggle to get here and the mindset of almost like Nick said, overcoming your own personal demons. Sorry for that. Overcoming your own personal, you know, misgivings on your own journey to the top. Finn's a very interesting cat. Yeah, that was a uh, extraordinary interview. No, I'm just no, kidding. I don't mean that. You nah. don't mean that. Come on. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it was really good. I didn't expect him to be as candid as he was. 
you know, you never know what you're going to get when you go into these interviews. And, and that's something that you and Nick uh, both do a really good job feeling out. You don't know if they're going to kayfabe you or, you know, really how open they're going to be. And I thought him admitting, Finn Balor admitting, that it's easier and he likes it more being a heel, being a bad guy, uh, was a little eye-opening. Not that much of a surprise because he was so successful as a bad guy in New Japan. Just you would think he would love the adoration and all the attention and the love that he's getting right now as a big-time babyface in WWE. But what that says to me, Brian, is we might see a heel Finn Balor in WWE maybe sooner than we expect if he likes it that much. I'm not saying the In This Corner podcast is the best place for interviews in the wrestling world. Okay, I am saying that. And I'm not saying every time they drop Easter eggs. But if he turns heel at the TLC pay-per-view against Bray Wyatt and joins some kind of evil flock there, then, you know, you'll say you heard the tease <laughs> right here. But then again, we also got teases about Brock Lesnar and teases about his dream match against Kurt Angle, which feasibly could happen. Who knows? I'm just saying I still want Finn Balor, AJ Styles, former heads of the Bullet Club, getting together. I don't think I'm going to get my wish, or maybe I will, you know, if AJ keeps keeps uh, wrestling into his 40s. But, you know, a man can dream, right? I'll take as much, whether it's babyface, whether it's heel, I'll take as much Finn Balor as I can get. And you know what else I want right now, Brian? A little pay-per-view rewind. <laughs> Oh, there we are. This is my favorite segment of the whole show. I got to say that we've had a blast breaking down so many great matches from the archives that is educating a portion of our of our audience. It's educating me to areas where I've had blind spots. One thing we do want to say off the top is sometimes this makes our our episodes go pretty long. So we're going to take a break after this week, the listener's choice week. And really just kind of get back into a rhythm of getting your DM questions, which we've pushed aside. We like for the people, by the people. We want to hear your voice. So continue to slide in them DMs at B. Campbell CBS, at Silverstein Adam, at The Costos. But what a pick to take a break on from Vince Lacey at Man Dude V on Twitter. His choice this week was 2006 ECW One Night Stand from the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City. The main event. For the WWE Championship, John Cena versus Rob Van Dam. Vince was kind enough to send us his thoughts, send a little audio our way to hear what he loved about this card. Let's hear from Vince Lacey. What is up, guys? Vince Lacey here, and I'm here to give you my take on why I chose ECW One Night Stand from 2006. Just for starters, if we want to start with the main event, it was John Cena versus Rob Van Dam. This was a pivotal moment in my wrestling fandom. Seeing as though I'm 20 years old, so I started to watch wrestling when I was about nine. So in, so in 2006, John Cena was definitely the franchise player. He was just starting to become the big guy, the number one face of the company. So watching this, it was just one of the first times that John Cena received such a negative reaction. It was at a time where it was sort of taboo, sort of say, for people to hate John Cena. And it was just starting to become popular for people to dislike John Cena. But anyway, the crowd in this... And this venue is just so raunchous and so avid with voicing their opinion. They even chanted F go F Cena to Randy in the Randy Orton Kurt Angle match, which was pretty ridiculous. And a lot of the things that they said throughout the match card or throughout the entire show were pretty crazy and ridiculous. So they pretty much made the show for me. Other than that, there were some pretty good matches, despite the fact that there weren't as many stars, so to say, in the card. We got to see Edge in a 
pretty important part of his career where he first started to become a contender for the WWE title. He cut a really good promo with him and Lita before his match. And at the end of the match, the pinfall that he that he took on the woman that's involved, I can't remember her name. I'm sorry, but I'm almost certain Edge had to have received some repercussions for how he pinned that woman i don't know if he planned on doing that before if he just did it on the spot but the way that he pinned her in this match if you get to look back i wonder if he received any backlash for how he did that and if there was any controversy surrounding edge during the time because what he did is quite frankly never should never be allowed in a wrestling ring honestly i mean oh but anyway if you get a chance please look at that and also the raid mysterio sabu match was definitely a downer it was really good going forward but it had to be ended, I guess, due to Sabu's injury. Even in the match, you get to look at him and he says to the ref after like a table bump, he says, I think I broke my collarbone. And I think that match had to be ended early. Could have been really great. But yeah, this card in general was just really good. The, the crowd made it for the most part. And I'm glad you guys chose it. Thank you. I think he perfectly nailed there. And thanks again to, to Vince for taking part in the segment. Why this card, Adam, is so incredible. And this was, you know, the second year in a row that they did, that they came back with the ECW and did the one night stand. And of course, this one launched the show, which in the long run became an utter debacle. But on this one night in New York City, electricity was through the roof. This, I don't know if this is blasphemy or not, this pay-per-view card, Adam, might be one of the best of that entire decade. It's so much damn fun to go back and watch. Not just the crowd, not just the many, many, many obscene non-PC moments that happen, but also this fact and this feeling, and this is the fact and feeling that really played out during the Cena RVD main event. Forget babyface versus heel. This type of crowd and the dynamics that come with like reintroducing the ECW brand it's the closest thing that we saw to real sports in WWE. And the reason why I say that is because Cena wasn't, it wasn't heel or babyface. Cena was entering enemy territory and the booze, the constant booze that he received, like it wasn't fans booing against his booking. It was the equivalent of a rod walking into Fenway park, right? It didn't matter at this point, his role, all that mattered was that he was in enemy territory and they were on they were unrelenting and it was fantastic. Yeah, now Vince was just a, hit his timeline a little bit off. Uh, John Cena was actually getting some of those boos and some of the you can't wrestle chants and some of that before this, not well before this, but before this. So he's just slightly off there. But no, you're 100 percent right. When I do pay per view rewind. I don't take notes the rest of our show when we you know do Hero Zero or the main event. But I take notes at pay per view rewind because I want to remember a lot of the things that you know I want to talk about here. And the first thing I wrote in BCU basically already said it. I think this was the most authentic thing that WWE has maybe ever done. And I mean more authentic than Stone Cold Steve Austin and Degeneration X and things they do that break kayfabe on television, the pipe bomb with CM Punk. I think this was the most authentic thing they ever have done. They gave ECW fans that were longing for Paul Heyman and longing for the return of, you know, what I thought was the most exciting brand of wrestling in the you know Monday Night War era, even though they weren't on Monday nights, they brought it back. They gave them everything they wanted. And all you need to know, all you need to hear, if you didn't watch this pay-per-view, which we tell you to because you're supposed to know what we're talking about, but Paul Heyman entered the show in the ring and he said this. On, on behalf of every wrestler who wanted to be hardcore 
more than they wanted to be a superstar. On behalf of everyone who lived the dream, fought the fight, and never gave up hope, the tribe of extreme has risen again! Now let that play out because it was awesome and it was so, they used the perfect word, authentic. Everything about this card was a throwback to what made ECW so great, how dangerous it was. I mean, Cena throwing RVD getting pushed into the crowd by Cena, he took out like three fans, right? They took a bump for him and they loved it. That can't happen in 2017. It happened every week in 1997. So this 10 years later, 2006, was really a true throwback to the ECW spirit. They did it the year before, of course, and it was a heck of a pay-per-view as well. It really gave you that feeling. And this card, you know, Vince laid out some of it with, you know, Edge doing that obscene pin on Beulah McGillicuddy. That match was just ridiculous with Terry Funk and, you know, <laughs> Mick Foley being willing to do uh, just to take such ridiculous risks with barbed wire and fire. And I know that at that point in time, WWE was still doing some of that stuff, but this was next level stuff. Everything was perfect. And you mentioned you love the Pauly promo. I love the random JBL promo that happened when he appeared during the card yes. in the middle of the crowd. And it's not PC and I'm going to play a part of it right now, but it was so perfect about why this card rules. Listen them. Watch what you say about SmackDown. Don't you bring your dog and pony show. Who's that coming up there? Oh, man, there he is. <laughs> Don't you bring your backyard quality wrestling show into <laughs> JBL's town of New York and embarrass this business. Hey, he's from Texas. Hey. Wait a minute, ECW, I recognize that ring. I see no women out here and you're chanting about a male organ. Now tell me who's the fruit. Now, that was really long. I just really wanted to set the picture, if anyone that hasn't seen this card, of how great this card is, how great that heel promo was from JBL referencing when he beat the tar out of the blue meanie based on some real backstage heat. Moments like that set how obscenely amazing this card was just for that feeling. But we're talking here about the main event, Cena RVD. 
Cena bringing in that WWE championship there with RVD cashing in his money in the bank in order to get this match. A lot of stakes on the line. And we talked about that crowd. They threw Cena's shirt back to him five consecutive times like it was Wrigley Field. And not just that, that African-American fan in the front row <laughs> grabbed it, wiped his rear end with it, threw it back at Cena and gave him two middle fingers to the face. This was incredible. They're, they're yelling same old ish at Cena each time he does one of his one of his moves. Adam, this was electric. I have so many things I want to say about it. Yeah. So this was a legitimately mature rated pay-per-view. And like this is you have to remember, this is only 11 years ago. WWE, like they were I think they were already public traded by then. They, and they were still doing this. I think the regular TV was either PG-13 or whatever that's called on TV or even PG at that point still. And they still did this. And they threw caution to the wind. And they gave us this. You know, now they do a hardcore match or a tables, ladders, and chairs match. And they'll go through the whole match and you won't see any color. But they gave us a mature-rated pay-per-view with stuff like that going on in the crowd. And BC, I wrote that exact same note about the African-American guy in the front row. He gave not the double bird once twice and then mouthed F you to Cena and Cena like looked shook by it like whoa I've never seen someone do that to me before selling or whether that was legit straight in there and by the way they berated the crap out of him when he did the five knuckle shuffle and obviously I don't think it gets said enough that like that move makes Hogan's leg drop look like a lethal weapon like I'm so happy the crowd you know that's really the worst move of a big time wrestler that we ever seen that really punctuated what they thought of it at that point you got to give it up for RVD. Now, this match was not five-star. We'll get to our ratings in a second. But the crowd really made it really fun. Both guys worked hard. This wasn't prime top RVD, a little bit past. But this was a late run in his career where he was working really hard to get to this level. I think we got to give it up to him. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves because maybe he's a little bit more toward the 420 side, known from the ECW side as, as one of those hands. If you think about it, He was not only taking the 90s cruiserweight style that was already being done that was rising up on American TV, but he was really mixing in an indie style with the hardcore style, which means he's not afraid to backflip into the crowd. But he's adding pure gymnastic elements that even other high flyers can't do. And I just just wanted to throw it out to him after watching this match and sort of being reminded of like historically, we don't give him the credit physically at what he can do. I mean, he's a badass. He's a cocky heel. But man, he brings it in that ring. No question about it. My Big point of contention is this, and I paused there to try to find the right word, the finish, Adam. That's my big point of contention because this had all the makings to be a pretty damn good match, not a great match. I hate the finish of this match, and it wasn't enough to stain the pay-per-view, and it wasn't enough to stain the great feeling I had either back then or now. I love that somebody came in the ring with a long black leather coat and a dark motorcycle helmet because they were hiding under the ring. I really don't love that it was Edge in this spot. And I know it was to signal a start of an Edge Cena feud. But the whole point of this is Edge earlier in the night when he was in that three-on-three mixed hardcore match, which was incredible, he was the anti-ECW guy. The back-and-forth non-PC verbal rants that happened between him and the crowd and him and Tommy Dreamer were incredible. He was anti-ECW the whole night. Then for a 20-minute match, everybody in the crowd is anti-John Cena who represents the establishment. And then Edge from the establishment beats up the establishment's face to allow Rob Van Dam to go over and win the title. And while they almost won it back by having Paul Heyman dive into the ring and give the three count, it wasn't enough. Adam, it was almost, it's not Miz WrestleMania 27 level with Rock coming in to give him the win over Cena, but it's kind of on that level. Why do you rob RVD here to save Cena's face? 
when the whole point of this night, and you give WWE credit for doing this night, was to put over ECW and say, fans, you love this. We're going to give it to you. We're going to give it to you raw. We're going to give it to you with our your guy going over our guy. Why have Edge there to hedge the bet? So everything you just said, I mean, it's, it's legitimately exactly how I feel about it. My problems extend past that even to the storyline that led into the show and the storyline that came out of the show and what happened. So I feel like it's worth talking about that. They said before this show, the WWE title was going on the line. You have to remember, Rob Van Dam had the Money in the Bank briefcase, which he had won, and he told Cena ahead of time, I'm going to cash it in at ECW One Night Stand and the greatest home field advantage I can possibly have. So he already set that up for you, like ready to go. So that that's there. Then he wins the title, and they prelude this entire match and this entire feud by saying, if Rob Van Dam beats John Cena for the WWE title, it will become the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. They were talking about ending the WWE title and making it the ECW title. I remember this when I watched it live that year. I remembered it four months ago when I just happened to randomly watch this pay-per-view. And I remembered it again when I watched it actually last night. And it pissed me off. That's a ridiculous storyline that you would take the most prestigious title in, in wrestling history, and I said the same thing last week about the WWE title, and move it and make it the ECW title. And here's what WWE did. They realized how ridiculous it was after he won it, and then either the next night on Raw or the next week, Rob Van Dam basically said, actually, you know what? We're not going to merge the title together. What we're going to do is have, I'm going to defend both titles separately at the same time. So this is what happened coming out of it, Brian. Rob Van Dam defended each title once, and then you know what he did? He committed a substance abuse policy violation. He lost both titles back-to-back nights, July 3rd and July 4th, and he never was WWE world champion in any form again. This was the beginning of the end of Rob Van Dam's career because he finally reached the mountaintop, and it completely tumbled down because of his own, you can call it personal demons or personal problems or just mistakes and immaturity, whatever you want to call it. That's how it ended. So there was nothing about the end of this match with him winning the title in the way he won it with the stipulation and then with what transpired over the next 30 days that I liked. Nothing. Uh, that's a great breakdown. And and maybe, you know, you, you laid out the violations. Maybe that's why we don't always hold RVD up to the level that I was trying to put him over. Physically incredible. Did some great things. Wasn't able to put together the full great career like that. It just reminds you that, like, we know what happened with the ECW after this, that it became like a de facto NXT. And I know we got CM Punk out of that, but it really was disappointing. And it really was a cheap version of something that could have been great. And watching this kickoff, which this second pay-per-view was the kickoff to it. This was the kickoff to them having their own show two nights later on Tuesday nights on the Sci-Fi Network. It's sad because this was such a strong kickoff outside of that main event. It reminds you of the pain that I still feel, and pain's a harsh word, but the misgivings of the Cruiserweight Classic not translating into 205 Live. And it's the same thing, and it's like WWE. You kicked it off in a way that was, what Adam said, authentic. It was real. It was special. It was different than WWE, but under the same banner. And, of course, you WWEized it. For, for no reason. You know, it's like, don't take the meat out of my lasagna. That's the bottom line. Don't put in vegetables, all right? Don't do that. It doesn't taste the same. So Meltzer gives it 3.25 stars on his rating. I really thought long and hard about this. I actually think he's spot on. The card itself, I love. The main event, I am almost a little anger at the way it ended, but the crowd was so good. And both guys sold out with a couple of mini spots there that were really physical. 3.25 kind of seems right on. 
for what overall was a great card. Yeah, I think it's a three-star match. It's a C. It's average. It was good. It wasn't bad. It was the main event of a pay-per-view. It was interesting. There was a run-in, you know, interference. The crowd was incredible. Um, it probably isn't a three-star without the crowd. I'm kind of curious, what's your grade for the overall pay-per-view? I got to give that. Uh, are we going number or letter grade? I got to give it yeah. a... A B, it's right in that B plus A minus area to me, and it's not necessarily the quality of wrestling. And there's some there's some stinkers in here, but I mean, Sabu Rey Mysterio Jr. The match had to be ended due to injury. That match was incredible. There's enough of a feeling of entertainment that that's an A minus pay per view for me. Yeah, no question about it. I think it's a solid B B plus probably B on its own B plus because the crowd was so super ridiculous, crazy amazing. Um, if Taz had the opening match against Jerry the King Lawler. And then went and did commentary for the rest of the. Oh, I know. The and, and Joey Styles got slapped, and he came. Back. I mean, there was some good, <laughs> fun moments in there. But we're gonna leave how we always leave. And thank you again to Vince for the pay per view rewind. Thank you everybody else for being such a big part of this segment as we roll forward. It will come back in some big ways, I promise you. But we always close by putting our hands right in the middle of that feel spot. And Adam, for me. There was a pretty weird, cool, nostalgic sequence on Raw during Elias's match against Apollo Crews. Let me just play this for you right here. Elias telling me the story that the legendary guitarist Slash, uh, formerly of Guns N' Roses, right, took I'm gonna a, stop you right took now, a liking Cole. to Elias, who gave him a signed guitar and told him, someday the world is going to need you, Elias, and your music. That is blasphemy. How dare you mention Elias and the legendary oh. Saul Hudson in the same story? I'm a Offended? I would rather go dance with Mr. Brownstone for the rest of the night than hear any more of your nonsense. Oh, oh and Apollo with a kick. All right, this is right <laughs> in my field spot. One, because Corey Graves interrupted Michael Cole, ripped him to basically saying, like, you don't know about rock and roll. You're not cool. And then made a pretty awesome GNR reference referencing Slash Saul Hudson. That was all great. But it's double, triple field spot when you're a Guns N' Roses fan and you know the song Mr. Brownstone is about heroin and visiting the heroin dealer. So Corey Graves on a PG Monday Night Raw basically said this week, I would rather spend all night doing heroin than listening to you, Michael Cole, whether that was intentional or not. And I have to think it was because Corey Graves is that cool. Yeah, that's a dangerous line to make. That was my field spot. Hilarious. That's really good. I have two. Very quickly, I just want to say the Usos and the New Day on SmackDown. That was cool. The mutual respect thing, like... I'm glad that you know feud ended and they actually gave it a legitimate end versus just like New Day deciding, oh, we're never going to challenge for the titles again. My real feel spot this week was almost the entire episode of NXT last Wednesday. You guys remember we tape on Wednesdays, so we watched the previous week's NXT. Um, the Velveteen Dream, Aleister Black feud and mind games, and it's just so awesome. Oh, yeah. Like your Velveteen Dream, it's not a Goldust character, but he reminds me so much of the mind games that Goldust played. Um, you know, especially early on in his WWE career with that gimmick. And Aleister Black's an amazing foil for that. And then in the main event, after Roderick Strong loses to Drew McIntyre, his chance at the NXT Championship, the Undisputed Era, and I hate that I actually have to call them that because that's their name, but they come out and seemingly try to recruit him over to their team. And that does make a lot of sense. So very feel spot-ish for me. I like when you have factions recruiting faces and especially when they actually go and they actually turn heel. It's great. A little bit of a, if we were doing Hero Zero, a little bit of a zero for me because he's still kind of a small guy and we all know Undisputed Era needs some dudes in there, some big dudes. Very, very good stuff. Last week I was down on him. This week, uh, we'll see where bit. it goes. But that is all for our show. Thank you very much to WWE 2K18 and Finn Balor for the time. 
the, the Greek, the great Nick Costos. You will hear from him again. For Adam Silverstein, this is TBC. We always hit you with two words. We out. <laughs>